When people hear the things that they put a lot of effort into, <laughs> it's terrifying. It's just, it's cringe emoji. Welcome back to Drip, a DC Coffee podcast. I'm your host, Austin Brower. My goal from the start of Drip, a DC Coffee podcast has been to keep brewing community and to amplify community voices. Continually, I've struggled with how to do that and if I'm doing enough. Recently, I connected with Don Shanks, the head CQM of Peregrine Espresso. Don is a longtime DC barista and has her own passion for storytelling. She has even practiced narrative style podcasting. And I'm extremely excited to announce DC Drip will host one of Don's coffee podcast episodes seasonally, soon to be known as the DC Drip Split Shot series. So today, we'll hear from Don. And in the end, listen to the first of the Split Shot series. You, dear listener, will get two podcasts for one. So without further ado, sit back, grab your cup of coffee, and enjoy the episode. You the right Don Shanks? Yes. Nice. This is always the awkward part of like starting a <laughs> I podcast. I just came off the street, you Just, know. Who are you? <laughs> I'm that other Don Shanks. That other Don Shanks. Yeah. Sweet. We'll act like you're the right Don Shanks. Right. <clears throat> coffee. <clears throat> coffee, coffee, coffee. Um, well, very cool. But thanks for being here today for an episode of Drip, a DC Coffee podcast. Thank you. Excited to have you on. And what, well, we had beers like a month ago. Was it really a month? Gosh. It was something like that. Okay. But we're here today. I haven't gone back, but that was a good little place in Alexandria. Yeah. If you guys want to get a beer somewhere in a kind of bizarre place, go to... Bilbo Baggins? Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> I think that's the place <laughs> that it's called. Yeah. Yes. But sit at the bar. That's the best place. Yes. Anyways, I figured we could just jump in and learn a little more about you because you have been in the DC coffee scene for a couple of years now. A couple of years. Um, and so you have a really nice perspective into it all, but would love to hear yes. just a little bit about you, Don, and then also your coffee journey? I guess my coffee journey started in Williamsburg, Virginia. I worked at Barnes and Noble Cafe and really annoyed everybody in the cafe because I was always running around and running late. And so that was like my first coffee job. And that's the college town of William & Mary, right? Yes. Yes. Go tribe. Go tribe. (laughs) Hooray, Griffins. There you go, Griffins. Well, let's see. After that, I always liked coffee shops, but I started working in the D.C. area and coffee maybe around 2009 or 2010. I worked at a Starbucks in Alexandria. After I worked in Starbucks, I was like, I really just want to like work for a local coffee shop. Like I had this moment when I was at another coffee shop where I I guess I was just over caffeinated. And I thought, there's so much to do with communities here. And Starbucks is great, but I would love to work with somebody who is a part of the community and started a small business. So I I moved to work at a coffee shop at Neighborhood Restaurant Group called Buzz. And then after that, I moved on to Peregrine. Nice. Been there for six years. Six years. And sorry, Buzz, is Buzz still around? Buzz is still around. Yeah, Neighborhood Restaurant Group owns Buzz. Let's see, they have a bunch of restaurants and they have two locations of their Buzz Bakery and coffee shop. And milkshakes and sandwiches. We did it all. Got to go to Buzz. Yeah. And before we get to Peregrine, if I remember correctly, you graduated right around the Great Recession, which kind of influenced your journey a little bit too, right? Yeah, I think so. Right out of college, I started doing some writing and then eventually some editing for like a local publication. I thought that was kind of going to be my career track. I'd work as an editorial assistant and hopefully get some experience in print media. I'm dating myself a little here. Print media. <laughs> well, it's still my around. dream. Yes. Sort of. And the recession sort of happened. And at least from my perspective, people really weren't hiring somebody with my level of experience anymore. And jobs were just kind of going away. And I had a lot of, you know, editors asking, hey, do you want an unpaid internship? I was like, well, yes, but I also have to pay rent. So, No. So I moved to Washington, D.C., and I applied for like 60 jobs. And the one place they called back was Starbucks. So I sort of fell into coffee. But being this, you know, new graduate, I had a lot of energy and I just threw myself into 
everything I was doing and what I was doing was coffee. One comment you made was about the community. I guess which came first, coffee, you kind of fell into coffee, but the love for coffee or the love for community, which came first for you? Gosh, as a really shy person, I like small communities, even small communities in cities, because it allows me to be social very easily. I remember even when I was working as an editor, I would sometimes sit in a local coffee shop, or it was it was called the Scholars Inn Bakehouse in Bloomington, Indiana. I would sit on the outside patio and, you know, kind of the whole town would pass me by. And I was able to like, passively socialize with people, mm-hmm. which is so much easier than, you know, going to parties and being really mindful about being a social person. So community, I guess, technically came first and mm-hmm. coffee shops have always been really great community spots. But the the idea about, oh, like working for a local place came at a small shop in Charlottesville called Para Coffee. And it was just really obvious that it was a small local place and they really put a lot of effort into what they did. And I, I felt that effort and I felt that hospitality and that sort of fueled the sort of me kicking into all right, I'm doing coffee with Starbucks, but I want to do something coffee and community and pushing towards excellence like these people at Para are doing. And what, did you work with Para or did you just visit? I was just visiting. Sometimes, I guess, I don't know if there's any DC listeners right now, but sometimes I just have to leave DC to sort of clear my head and reset. Yeah. And Charlottesville is like my first go-to. It hurts being that we went to William & Mary, but we won't hold that against you. I, I love going to Williamsburg, too. There's less, maybe, to do. <laughs> That's probably true. Huh. And so that, is it para or paras? Para. Para. Yeah. So para kind of allowed you to see that community and kind of pushed you further into coffee. For sure. Um, and then you ended up in Peregrine. So Peregrine, <laughs> really important DC shop, and she's grinning really a lot right now. Excited to talk I about like it. Peregrine. <laughs> um, so I'm sure you probably didn't start out as the director of education, aka head CQM, whatever that means. But how did you start in a Peregrine, and then where are you today in Peregrine? I started well, Buzz Bakery where I worked did the pastries for Peregrine Espresso. We were a wholesale pastry provider. So sometimes I'd get to call Ryan Jensen, the owner of Peregrine, and say, "Hey." time for me to uh, get money from you. <laughs> and he would give me like his number. And and that was sort of all the interaction that I had with Peregrine. And I remember seeing Peregrine's, you know, name written on the pastry, the sides of the pastry cases mm-hmm. and on invoices. And in my head, I was always like, Peregrine. <laughs> I, I lived in Alexandria and I worked in Alexandria and I only went into DC for, you know, concerts and to take family members who were visiting to museums. So I didn't really start to understand Peregrine and their place in the coffee community until this outside coffee consultant named Trevor Corlett came and worked with Neighborhood Restaurant Group to help us up our coffee game. Hmm. And Trevor, if you've ever met him, he is so knowledgeable and so generous with his time. I learned a lot just talking with him, and he respected Peregrine. And so I started to get curious about Peregrine. So one day, our pastry driver wasn't, for some reason, wasn't in. So I said, oh, I'll take Peregrine's order in just because I wanted to scope them out. And I came in and the baristas were just so, I just saw the way they were interacting with each other and the way that they approached me with such kindness. And I just felt very warm and fuzzy inside because I think it was more what I was looking for when I was first thinking about community and coffee at Para, because Buzz is great, but I was working more as a manager than as a barista. Mm-hmm. So I always had that in my mind. And then when I decided it was time for a change, I applied to Peregrine. I remember I even I even met with Trevor and I was like, am I, am I crazy? Like, I have a good job as a manager. Like, do I really want to um, scrap that to be a barista? And he basically said, I think I would if I was you. And so I took that as, well, I respect your opinion, so I'm just going to do it. <laughs> okay. That was after making him pay multiple invoices and uh, he was <laughs> just trying to make first. you stop. Yeah. <laughs> making him pay you money. Yeah. Wow, that's really neat. And so 
you got the job. I did. I got to interview with Ryan Jensen. He's just this very tall, nice person. And <laughs> and who's Ryan Jensen for people listening? Yeah, the, the owner of Peregrine. Okay. Um, yeah, no, it's it was fun to sit and talk with him because I think that he really tries to approach like interviews in a, just a, I just want to know more about you. Mm-hmm. And I want to get a sense for, you know, where you are and, and how you would be at Peregrine. So it was fun to sit and talk and have my you know, first pour over, ordered in a coffee shop. I remember when I came in for the interview, I was so panicked. I looked at the pour over menu and I was like, I can have a free coffee. Uh, I'll take the, uh, I'll take the Kenyan (laughs) and like sauntered away. Like, what did I just order? I don't know. But I sat and I drank my Kenyan and I just tried to keep my cool with this guy, Ryan, who this other cool guy, Trevor really liked. And I knew that, you know, coffee people were special, but I didn't feel like a coffee person yet. I guess it was just um, me just trying to be quiet and play it cool. And and if you've ever met Ryan, he's also a quiet person. So I feel like there was part of the interview where we just sort of like nodded at each other and smiled. And eventually he said he had a position available at Eastern Market. So I said, yes, I would love to work here. Oh, that's awesome. And so you started in as a barista. I did. And worked up the ranks to now being head CQM. Yes. I prefer that I did it that way. Because yeah. when I first started working there, there were just these these titans of coffee that mm-hmm. I got to work with, like Lindsay Kaiser and uh, Travis Beckett. Like These were names that I had seen when I would watch like coffee competitions online. And so for people listening, who are those people? <laughs> They're former Peregrine employees who um, competed and did exceptionally well. Okay. So I got to work with these like great, knowledgeable, passionate coffee people. Yeah. So for people listening as well, Head CQM, what is that? Head CQM. I feel like everything I do, I'm trying to help our trainers at Peregrine who are CQMs. And I'm also trying to talk to the managers at Peregrine and see what they need from trainers and also advocate for what the trainers need. I think that's a big part of my job. Mm -hmm. And I also am really fortunate to get to work on the training program of Peregrine and think about, okay, what are industry standards and what makes the most sense for our shop and what makes the most sense for our customers? What can we incorporate in our training program that's going to help everyone feel really great about coffee? So I got to help develop some new barista bar training, hospitality training, some parts of our orientation. And then there's other parts of my job where I I get to help with consumer classes where we teach anybody who wants to learn about coffee. We have a coffee brewing class and an espresso class that anyone can sign up and take. That's what you just came from as well? You were... Yeah. Yeah. It was a private consumer class. Okay. Yeah. So you can do those too if you're listening. You can. Potentially. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, it sounds like you are, you're definitely close to the coffee, but it seems like what you're doing is really providing the resources and the knowledge for others within Peregrine to yes. supply awesome coffee and consistent coffee to guests. That sounds much more succinct than what I just said. Yes. <laughs> okay. Wow. That's got to be a lot then. I suppose it, it is. It, it just feels, it's, it helps that I really love who I work with and mm-hmm. I really like the company. Yeah, I don't know. Like, what? what is your experience when you walk into Peregrine? I'm always curious. I'm the interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so most of my experience within Peregrine has been on the 14th Street location. I've done a couple times when I've been in Eastern Market and mm-hmm. gotten espressos at Peregrine. And it was actually probably the first, like, specialty shop that I had in D.C. because I was at an Eastern Market. And I don't think I really realized what I was getting when I went in there. And maybe that's true for a lot of people who are oblivious about coffee. They're just like, oh, there's a coffee shop. And they don't kind of realize the magic that's happening. But um, definitely always good, really, at least on 14th, just a chill group of people who make good coffee. Awesome. Is that what you want to hear? Well, that's that- that's the pretty peregrine. I call that one the pretty one because they have the beautiful like design and all the wood and it's really nice. Yeah. And fun fact, there's actually a cat in the courtyard behind Peregrine Mid-City. That's our um, blue-collar kitty. Yes. Nice. Yeah. So she works to, you know, patrol the courtyard and keep pests away. For mouses. Yeah. I just wanted to give a shout out to Humane Rescue Alliance's blue-collar cat program because I think it's pretty rad. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Give out any shout outs you want here. We're huge fans. (laughs) 
thanks for sharing more about your involvement in Peregrine. Sure. And in general, for people listening, I think some people don't really know the history and kind of the importance of Peregrine and the DC coffee scene. And so would love for you to maybe share a little <laughs> bit about that. I'll share what I know. I, I'm not an OG Peregrine person, but back in the dark ages of Washington, D.C. coffee. No, I'm just kidding. Not at all. Um, there's always been... But it did happen. There's <laughs> always been great coffee in D.C. In the early 2000s, from what I can gather, there was Murky and there were a few other great coffee shops in D.C., but way fewer than what we enjoy now. In Murky Coffee, there was a location where there is a Peregrine now, and Ryan Jensen worked for Murky. Then Murky closed, and Ryan decided, I think Ryan and his wife Jill were already thinking about starting a coffee shop, and when when Murky closed and that Eastern Market location became available, they decided, okay, yes, we are going to open a coffee shop, and yes, it is going to be where Murky was. So that was kind of how Peregrine got started. So there's two things I kind of want to follow there, one a little bit about Murky Coffee and one a little bit about Peregrine. Murky Coffee, to my understanding, was really kind of one of the initial, if not the initial, third wave shop in D.C. And sure. its owner, Nick Cho, who's now in San Francisco with Wrecking Ball, mm-hmm. was or is a pretty big deal in the coffee scene and has kind of helped push along the what the philosophy of third wave coffee. Would that be accurate to say? I think it's funny. Nick Cho's um, business partner and spouse, Trish, is the person who coined third wave mm-hmm. as, a, as a phrase for what we currently find ourselves in the coffee profession, sort of the ethos of what we're doing right now. She was the first one to kind of use that phrase and it just took off. So yes, I think that, you know, Nick with Murky represented counterculture really well and all of the baristas were excellently trained and really passionate about coffee. Yeah, they definitely brought something special to DC. I wish I, I wish I could have been a part of it more. Yeah, you're part of the legacy though now. <laughs> and then so kind of the Peregrine strand is mm-hmm. either Murky or Peregrine and maybe kind of both have had a huge impact on the talent within DC. I think that's correct to say, but would love to hear it from well, you. Well, that's that's such an honor to hear that Peregrine has been and is still really impactful on the coffee scene. I think that we always want to be really approachable and really kind to everybody that interacts with Peregrine, but also make sure that we are super knowledgeable about what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So just sort of blending those two things, like being humble, but also being like constantly curious mm-hmm. um, is something that I have felt as a Peregrine employee working in Peregrine. And that is something that I infuse in all of our training. And even when I'm just working behind the bar at Peregrine. A lot of people who are in the DC coffee scene, whether they're at Peregrine or not, a lot of them have been trained by Peregrine, right? Is Or am I making this up? <laughs> no, I just it's, want to it's make funny. Sure I, I, I think somebody out there with more time than me and more <laughs> skills should do some sort of like third wave coffee tree where we see baristas that have come from, you know, these great coffee shops like Vivace on the West Coast and, and Peregrine and the original intelligentsia and like see like all the branches intertwine and like who goes where because yeah no i see i see names of great people like i think zachary carlson from sprudge worked at murky Hmm. and katie carjulo at counterculture worked at murky and like all these really these names were like this person is is so awesome some of them got a start at murky coffee that's neat stuff. Yeah. And so for Peregrine, Peregrine used to use counterculture roasted coffee. Yes. Um, and of course, counterculture is really good and has done a lot for the DC scene. But recently, if I'm hearing correctly, you all made a switch. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think where where can you get counterculture in DC now? You can get it at like Trist. And okay. there's still like a lot, a lot of places that use counterculture. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, Peregrine was an exclusive counterculture partner. About a year, maybe a year and a half ago, Ryan and Jill opened Small Plains Coffee Company and began to roast their own coffee. Evan Howe is the roaster of Small Plains. It's this new project, and it's owned by the same people as Peregrine. It's been really exciting to see this sister company of Peregrine's like growing and taking off and 
it's fascinating to get a closer look at the roasting process. Mm -hmm. And just because we're closer to the roasting process, we are learning more about, you know, how coffee is sourced and, you know, what sort of the timeline from origin to here to, to us getting it in the roastery looks like. Just anecdotally, just by like sitting in the roastery and hearing people talk about things. Huh. That's really neat. And so I've had some good, some good coffee and somebody had to train them. So I think. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and how was that switching from counterculture, which I imagine had a pretty robust kind of support totally. group and provided you with a lot of resources. So how was that switch from training your staff on counterculture to then starting to use small planes? Yeah, it's it's different to go from a roaster who's so established and so good, like counterculture, to, okay, now we're now we kind of get to like write the rule book on what training looks like. For me, it's exciting. For all of us, it's really exciting to get to begin at the beginning and build this training program that is already considering all the things that Peregrine Baristas already know and building on that instead of maybe working with a roaster who has a great education program, but it is, it's general and it's not really tied to any one shop because counterculture, mm-hmm. you know, provides coffee to lots of different shops. It's been really fun. And I, I know I sound like very halting when I talk about this, but I still feel like I'm very much at the beginning of a lot of this. Mm-hmm. So when you ask me some of these questions, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm still kind of, still kind of figuring that out. Yeah. <laughs> you made a comment to me though, when we were talking before that now when you are really thinking about the education program and the training, one of the things you consider a lot is, okay, we want this to be good coffee, but also we want to really highlight small planes as a roaster. Mm -hmm. And that must just be a slightly different dynamic when you're teaching. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Well, for sure. It's super helpful that our roaster, Evan Howe, used to be a trainer for Peregrine. And he is really good at providing information that we can pass on to the baristas. They're more knowledgeable about each coffee. I guess, so as sort of the, the person whose primary job right now is building an education program Mm -hmm. for Peregrine and using small planes. Um, I guess I'm trying to think about reconciling hospitality, the hospitality that I think is really important that everybody feels in the shops with all the, all the new knowledge that we're getting working with a roaster. I think it's like a balancing act of making sure that we're teaching things to baristas to help them be really fast and being able to like repeat like quality things, like pulling a great shot every single time, but also not taking like three minutes to pull that shot. And also really emphasizing, hey, you should also know a ton about the coffee that you're using. You should also know a ton about the machine that you're making this espresso on. As, as I, I'm, I'm currently doing this, and it's, some, it's like this puzzle that I'm trying to figure out. Um, like what, what to prioritize and um, like how there's so much information that I can yeah. include in training. And it's like, how do I curate this for new baristas? Yeah, that's, that's going to be tough because <laughs> all of the information is so exciting. But when you're a new barista, you're not necessarily ready to intake yeah. it all and understand it and digest it. Mm-hmm. You have been in the DC coffee scene since 09, yes. it sounds like. What's changed the most and what are you most excited about for the coffee scene? Gosh, that's a really hard question. There's wonderful people who have come into the DC coffee community from then until now. But it, for me, it, what's really interesting is seeing who was around when I entered the coffee scene and who's still around and what are they doing now? Because mm-hmm. I think that there's some really interesting things that are happening with the people who have had time to really like sit and steep in like the dc coffee community to sit and steep in the dc coffee community yeah like a french press (laughs) sorry that was totally on accident no that was great like lenora yerks who is now like a counterculture rep she with a couple of other people including sarah rice scott who i get to work with at peregrine um does like this women in coffee group Hmm. where it's this supportive group they meet and they do events for women and like female identified baristas 
So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And the DMV coffee crew, like Reggie and Adam and Daps, they, yeah. they've been in coffee forever for longer than me. And, and they do a wonderful job each month at the throwdowns. It's such an important part of the coffee scene. It really so brings important. people together. Yeah. So props to them. Shout out to the DMV coffee scene. You guys are doing great. Yeah. <laughs> that is interesting to kind of see everybody's journey throughout it. What are you most excited about? In coffee? Yeah, in DC coffee. <laughs> in DC coffee, it's wonderful to see our community becoming more thoughtful about coffee and trying to really learn a lot about it. Like not trying to perfect trends, but really trying to get down to like the bones of like coffee science and sensory analysis. I think that those are sort of the events and meetings that I really gravitate towards. And it's really amazing to see the group of DC coffee baristas becoming more inclusive and really trying to be more thoughtful about how we can make coffee spaces in DC welcoming to a larger group of people. And I think that's something that a lot of us are going to keep trying to do and, and maybe not immediately knowing how to do, but I think it's important work. Mm-hmm. And sorry to stop you, are you saying coffee baristas being more open to the public and guests or more open in other ways? Well, I think I was thinking more about being more inclusive to other professionals mm-hmm. and maybe professionals that weren't quite as visible as they should have been. Mm-hmm. Do you have an example? Well, I know that when I first started working in coffee, I was looking to, as idols, as people to sort of emulate people that I saw competing. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, I think that, I'm not sure, I can't speak authoritatively on this, but I think that there was less diversity on the competition stage than there is now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm of two minds because I think that at the beginning of my coffee career, I focused more on competition and like the idea of like what I looked like as a barista and like how I could show that I was a true barista, a good barista, I'd like to think that I've gotten more thoughtful about coffee. But my main point was, it's really nice to see not only more diversity in coffee and the DC coffee community, but it's really heartwarming to see people attempting to be more inclusive Mm -hmm. in general. Yeah, thank you. Podcasts. Podcasts. Could talk all day about podcasts. You could talk. You brought here like multiple mics, a mixer. It was like you were doing a podcast. I got a little excited. <laughs> um, so, have you done podcasts before? What's your interest in coffee podcasts? My party line on if I've done podcasts before is no. I've tried to do podcasts before. I think that my friend and I, Kate, we Kate is the owner of the coffee bar, Kate Lowry. So she and I. We're like, no, it'd be fun if we did a podcast and tried for a really long time to get time down to do the podcast. And Kate runs a coffee shop with two locations and is very busy. <laughs> and, I, and I was busy with Peregrine, especially when we started to transition away from counterculture and towards small planes. So the stars never aligned, but there's a lot of interest in podcasting, in storytelling that I would like to cultivate. You mentioned earlier that you started out kind of in writing. And when we were talking before, you started talking about these like A and B things, these models, these like conversations (laughs) that when I got into podcasting, I haven't even thought about. Oh my God, I'm such a nerd. uh, Such a nerd. We're all nerds here. But so would love for you to maybe kind of break down the style of like the drip podcast that I do. And I think we're both pretty excited. We're also going to have some Slipshot podcasts coming on through drip and um, maybe talk a little bit about the style of these podcasts that you're going to be doing. Well, I love all different types of podcasts. And I think that the one we're doing is maybe called like AB format. We're just talking and it's so scary, right? Because like this whole conversation is basically just going to be published as is. (laughs) like, oh my God. (laughs) Um, But there's something really authentic and cool about those sort of podcasts, especially when, you know, it's like two hosts and they have great rapport and they're just cracking jokes and you can tell they're having a great time. 
just feels like you're sitting in your living room and two or three people are sitting across from you talking and you're just relaxing and listening to them talk. So that's sort of the feeling that I get from Drip. Mm -hmm. And sort of the stories that I've been wanting to tell in podcasting, they're more like storytelling and less less like a conversation and more like I have this story to share with you. It's like if like Radio Lab or This American Life only talked about coffee and only talked to coffee people. That sounds like a really cool, very daunting, but really cool project to try to explore. I think that's that's called narrative podcasting. And I think that's the thing that I'm most excited to try to do with like a split shot series, like Drip DC Presents sort of series. Nice. Do you want to listen to one? Sure. All right, let's do it. Okay. I didn't. You know, people are always surprised. I get this question a lot. Was it your dream to always open up a coffee shop? And I say, no, actually. That voice you just heard is Kate Lowry. Kate owns a coffee shop in Washington, D.C. called The Coffee Bar. It has two locations, one in the Shaw neighborhood and another newer location in DuPont Circle. I'm Don Shanks, and Kate's not just an interviewee. She and I are friends and have been for more than six years. And in the day-to-day whatevers of hanging out with her and experiencing our friendship in the present, I realized I'd never heard the whole story of why she's in coffee and what that process of opening the coffee bar was like overall. So this is the first story for Split Shot, a podcast that's going to explore coffee, people, and their stories. Or more to the point, it's going to tell coffee people stories. Today, we're talking about how Kate got her start in coffee, what happened to make her want to open up a coffee shop, and strange and funny and true tales about the building of her shop from both sides of opening day. The story starts not quite in D.C., not quite anywhere nearby. It starts in a small town where Kate grew up and got her first coffee job. I am from Park City, Utah, the home of Sundance Film Festival. But when I was growing up there, it was a pretty small town. I don't want to go all Andy Griffith on you here, but when I was growing up, we had one stoplight in the town. My friends and I in middle school, we'd ride our huffies uh, to school every day. We would set up our basic lemonade stands, and uh, we would obviously mark up our lemonade ridiculous, this crystal light lemonade we make for 75 cents and sell it for $3 and try to spin it as, oh, it's not lemonade, it's pink lemonade. My friends and I would go out to the golf course and we would pick up all the lost golf balls that were in the swamp or in the pond, clean them up and sell them back to the golfers. For Wait, so you're wading into lakes. Oh, yeah. And getting yeah. golf balls. Yeah, definitely. Going in and it's all the pond scum and all that. It was horrible. So obviously we had to charge for labor. Much to my parents, uh, I'm sure they regret, they just sent me to a barn when I was younger to get me out of the house and keep me active. And here, child, go muck some stalls, learn some responsibility. And ultimately, you do get to the point in with working with horses that there's a reason why they call it the sport of kings. The joke is to make, how do you make a million dollars in the horse industry? Start with two. So learn real fast that eh, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I'll keep this as a recreational hobby. Even today, Kate will sometimes disappear into the wilds of Maryland to go horseback riding. And hearing these stories of golf balls and lemonade stands totally color present day Kate and the focus that she has on coffee and people and running a business. So Park City was also where Kate eventually got her first coffee job at Christie's Primo Cafe. 
We were making large cappuccinos, scooping layers of foam on top, pouring tons of whipped cream, tons of syrups on it. So meanwhile, I think, oh, this is so cool. What great drink recipes. Barely tasting the coffee. Scooping ice cream, making smoothies, making paninis, which I think after paying my dues with all of that, this is why I will never have smoothies, paninis, and ice creams in any of my shops. She had a satellite location at the ski resort, this tiny little coffee cart where basically it only fit one person. So it only made sense that one person would be there running it. And that ultimately became me. At 19, I was running this coffee kiosk. Um, I remember days when it would be 10 below. I'd be there in my full ski gear. I'm working in a four by six space with just the espresso machine and a tiny space heater to heat me up. To be able to have that responsibility and sense of ownership at a young age really set the scene for what I wanted to do further down the road. Right. You said you were 19 years old. You, mm-hmm. I mean, you just finished high school, mm-hmm. I guess. And here you were running a, a location of a coffee shop for someone. Yes. That's pretty auspicious start in the coffee world. And after Christie's Primo Cafe and before the coffee bar, she did a ton of coffee work in Washington, D.C. as a barista, a manager, a general manager, even a coffee consultant. Eventually, though, she realized it was time to strike out on her own. I was working at this one cafe and running myself into the ground. I was working 80 hours a week. It was absolutely exhausting. I was miserable. And I thought, well, if I'm killing myself here, running myself into the ground, I might as well have something more to show for it. Might as well be for my own shop. Six months later, as I'm still doing that job and ultimately burning myself out, I got a call from a broker talking about the retail space I was working on prior saying, hey, so the space is still vacant. Do you happen to know anyone that might be interested in taking it over? And immediately I raised my hand. I go, hey, this guy, I could probably do that. So I gave my notice and jumped in. How, how old were you at this time? Um, well, Don, um, I was, when I first started working on my own shop, I guess I was 28. And that's the most striking thing about Kate's story for me. It's that she was 28, younger than I am, younger than I was, really, before I got super serious about coffee. There wasn't a business partner. There wasn't a team of people. It was her, Kate Lowry, starting a shop solo. It was alarming, definitely, for sure, walking in, dealing with a lot of suits. So I walked in, and they would throw out all these terms, and I would have to interrupt and say, I'm sorry, pretend like I make coffee for a living, Mm -hmm. and I don't exactly know what you're talking about. Can you break that down a little bit more for me? I was working on that first location that I got a call about. We were going back and forth. Uh, The various lawyers were all involved, and again, explaining a lot of terms and concepts to me that I was unfamiliar with, but Also, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I understand what you're saying, but that just doesn't seem right to me. And the other side basically came back with, I will never forget this quote, Um, we're pulling the deal. She basically doesn't have enough sophisticated business sense. Click. So after investing in retaining an architect, three months of time, paying lawyers fees to all of a sudden have the deal just dead. I was I was devastated. I questioned everything I was doing. I was about to turn 30 at this point. Um, I wanted to throw up my hands. I had dreams of maybe, well, I'll move to Australia and work as a barista there. So I took a a good month to lick my wounds and figure out if this was right. And ultimately, yes, it was right, and I had to keep going.
But after probably almost another year of looking for places, countless LOIs, countless negotiating, but you started to get really good at negotiating after (laughs) you go through this process multiple times. So I remember getting a call from my friend and he told me, hey, I have this one guy I know who's putting his space up for lease. I came back, though, I don't know. I'm looking at a couple other ones. I feel pretty good about those. And he said, no, I think you should you should really come over here. You should really check out this spot. I go, okay, I guess I can check it out on this way to look at another space with my broker. And I remember walking in and just saying, how much? Um, it was the first space I walked into that felt like home, that it, it was the coffee bar. It was what I've been looking for. For those of you who haven't yet been to the coffee bar, I can help describe it here. It's the first floor of a brick house on the corner of a street across from a school. It has big windows in the front and a patio with shady and sunny spots. Once you pull open the big swinging doors and step inside, you're on wooden floors and bathed in light. There's a fireplace fixture across from the entrance, a little nook that looks like it's made just for curling up and reading in, and a side door that opens to a little yard. Kate's not exaggerating when she says it feels like home. So what what was it like when you, after you signed the lease, where, where were your thoughts? Oh, well, definitely um, started to get some nerves. Uh, I felt like I was signing my life away for a little bit. You know, you look at these deals and it's you're talking 10 years in the future. Um, so I have the keys in hand and just looking around. And I remember going home and waking up the next day and it's like, oh, I, I need to start. I need to oh, do this. Happened. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, the clock is running. I had a clear vision in mind what I wanted, but when it came down to the construction part, um, I, not going to lie, I am not in construction. (laughs) I do not know these things, but wanting to know the nuts and bolts behind things, I definitely hit YouTube and watched multiple videos on tiling and installing floors and painting tips and tricks. So I would hang out at the shop all day and talk to the guys and watch and learn and hover and make sure everything was done correctly. Being from out west and spending time in California, um, I'm, I'm not sure if you'll maybe catch this vibe, but I wanted to do a West Coast coffee shop in DC. But um, a lot of colors, a bit of a rustic vintage feel, a lot of found objects. Uh, So, but again, comfortable. I wanted to make sure it feels like your home. I felt like here you had a lot of the big chain look stores. So a lot of concrete, a lot of dark colors, um, very industrial look. So I wanted to bring a little bit of a softer look to it. Every day I would wake up early, I would be there at 6.30 in the morning, I would have coffee and donuts and water bottles in tow, and I would hang out and then I would sit on the outside lawn while they were working inside. I had used the basement of the shop as my storage unit, so I had two couches down there, and I definitely stayed there. I wanted to become one with my shop and was working so hard that it just made sense to stay the night there. So. Yep, it was my second home. There was one late night when we were making the countertops for the bar. Okay, so this is the part of Kate's story that I actually start to remember myself. I couldn't afford to take all this metal out and get it fabricated. One night long before I knew what a daunting and engrossing task building a coffee shop was, Kate invited me to see the space and catch up. And I remember you pulled up. I walked around to the side, and there, by moonlight, Kate was bending huge pieces of metal by pushing down on this intimidating-looking piece of equipment, making her own countertops. So we'd rented an aluminum cider, and we're bending the countertops. Opening day came. The craft paper came down from the windows. The music started. Espresso was dialed in. And it was go time. 
and opened the doors and I froze. I completely froze. I was so nervous. I couldn't talk to anyone. I remember our very first customer, Jeffrey Burka, who is still a customer today. And I stood in the background. I ran. I grabbed cups of coffee. It was absolutely terrifying to me the first day. So as you can imagine, Kate got over the stage fright and quickly established herself in the neighborhood. The shop has a cult-like following from Logan Circle and Shaw residents, and the place is buzzing with visitors from all over on the weekends. The baristas are pulling shots on a mint green La Marzocco espresso machine and making pour-overs on Kalita waves. Patios decked out with wooden tables, planters, and bright chairs. The whole place is welcoming, yet intriguingly cool. A Yelp review once called it a hidden piece of Brooklyn in Washington, D.C. When selecting from the menu, there are offerings from at least three different roasters at a time. Yeah, multi-roaster shop. I had always had this. Um, that was always my business model. D.C. being a very transient city, I always wanted it to be a good conversation point, uh, having coffees from all over the country. I also think being a single roaster, it has so many great benefits. But ultimately, I think if you have the experience and you're willing to put in the time of the ordering, the inventory, sourcing coffees, doing your own tech, doing your training, um, again, me wanting control over everything. Uh, I think multi-roaster is the way to go. Eventually, you move on to shop number two. I do, because it was so easy the first time. I thought I would just do it again. Um, <laughs> no, again, toured the city, found a great spot. And it couldn't be more different from TCB1, which I, I love. Uh, some people will go in and say, oh, I have to say I like the other one better um, and vice versa. You didn't have to say it. Yeah. <laughs> like, noted. Okay. Um, but I never wanted them to be carbon copies of themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's in a highly commercial area. It's in a fancy new building as opposed to my residential neighborhood historic building coffee shop. So we'll always joke that I have my country home and my city home. Um, and they're not too far apart from one another. But in D.C., as you know, a block makes a huge difference. Well, yeah. And I think you live probably in between the two shops. Oh, I can never move. I live in a 10-minute walking distance between both shops. So you're on your bike back and forth back between and forth. both shops. I got a little milk crate on the back of my bike that I'm mm -hmm. always running cups and chai and responding to fires. Can you bring this down? Okay, I'll bring more granola cups. So, so it's handy. So there you have it. If you ever see a blonde riding through the city with a bunch of coffee and cups in a crate on the back of her bike, Get out of her way. That's Kate Lowry, and she's very busy. Before we leave for today, I asked Kate what advice she would have given herself before she signed her first lease. I definitely think I would tell myself to relax more and enjoy the process <laughs> and to, I felt a little meek and timid at that time when that is completely opposite of who I am. So I would have told myself to be confident in what you know in your experience. And just because you don't know all these other areas that you're going into, don't cower to people. Don't put up with guff. This is your livelihood. This is everything. This is your name on it. People are going to move on to other things, but you're going to be here and you have to represent it. So fight more, claw more. Yeah. Be tough. This has been The Shop That Kate Built. And that's it for the first episode of Split Shot. Split Shot is made by me, Dawn Shanks. You can follow me on Twitter at Dawn Shanks. And the show has a Tumblr called Split Shot, Coffee People Stories. Thanks to District Productive and Brendan Bailey for helping record this episode. I used music from the amazing Free Music Archive. Please see my show notes for full details on the music. Thanks for listening. Thank you.
So, uh, what do you think about? That? <laughs> <laughs> I think that um, it's very, <laughs> it's very uh, when people hear the things that they put a lot of effort into. <laughs> It's terrifying. It's just, it's cringe emoji. It's, oh, it's, the, it's the emoji where it's just like the straight face, but he's showing all his teeth like, oh my God. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to listen to things that you make. Yeah. But I can only get better. No, I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> um, so the episode that we just listened to. Mm-hmm. About my good friend, Kate. About your good friend, Kate. Yes. I think you did a good job in the podcast oh, to actually... I don't even know if we need to really talk about it because I thought it was really great and I'm ready to see a woman on a bike, I, biking between shops. I have a page of edits that as I was sitting listening to it, I was like, oh God, like I can't do that again. You need to do this. And it's a noisy but fun little installation yeah. of Split Shot. Nice. And so hopefully we'll hear some more of those. Yes. I hope that I can be a semi-regular contributor and maybe do a story a season um, about coffee people and their stories that'd be great that'd be really great and um like you were mentioning earlier the dc drip podcasts are very conversational and it's fun to have a very focused almost npr-esque too much too much Gosh, i mean uh, npr-esque <laughs> style podcast to really just you know learn about one person and hear them and hear you and i'm excited to host that on dc drip I am honored. I'm honored that it's getting hosted. I'm honored for people listening to these stories. They're great people. It's really fun to tell coffee stories in lots of different formats, like yeah. like interviews and with more of a collage type approach. Yeah, definitely. Well, awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. And that's a wrap, folks. I want to give a huge shout out to Don for an awesome podcast and thanks for joining me for this episode if you want to stay up to date with her follow her on twitter at don shanks or instagram at yeah just find this one in the show notes find kate lowry in the coffee bar on twitter facebook or instagram and on the web at the coffee bar dc follow drip wherever you get your podcasts and give me a shout out on social media or via the website updates and news about dc drip split shot series will be on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. With the summer months coming, I'm going to be publishing the podcast monthly, but plan to go back to the bi-monthly schedule in the fall. As always, thank you to the Broke Royals for music, Mike Crockett for engineering, Rebecca Silverstein for graphic and web design, and Wesley Stukenbroker for creative support. Thanks again for listening, and keep brewing community.